HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Welcome to Dye Green. I'm Max Sussman. And I'm Kate McCabe. Welcome back, everyone. When you walk in the doors of Pota Cafe in the Connemara Gale Talked, there's a butt. Pota's atmosphere is filled with community spirit and the sweet scent of freshly baked bread and the melody of the Irish language fills the air. It really is the community spirit as well as Pota's commitment to using local produce and seafood that caused them to win the award for best cafe in the country from Food and Wine Ireland earlier this year. A huge honor, a huge honor for chef and owner Jarmid O'Mahuna, who opened Pota in 2021. Um, Pota is a bilingual daytime cafe, and it's a community hub. It's just a half hour outside of Galway City, which is on Ireland's West Coast a region known among us and our followers for being an incredible bounty of seafood, among many other things. Right. And, you know, one of the things that makes Poja Cafe so cool and special to me and to the community is the fact that Irish is the primary language spoken there. So the cafe itself plays an important role as a cultural and educational resource for people especially Irish language speakers that live in the area. Jarman trained as a chef at Ballymaloo Cookery School, uh, like many, many other talented chefs throughout Ireland. Ballymaloo is known for kind of being, in a lot of ways, the epicenter of the locavore movement. And Jarman's taken that ethic and has carried it through to what he does at Pocha Cafe. So a lot of what he does is to really focus on the incredible bounty that is the Connemara food scene. So we're really excited to speak with Jarman today about the secrets of the Connemara soil, how restaurants can give back to local producers, and the importance of Irish language spaces for building community. Stay tuned. Thank you so much for joining us on Dyed Green. We're really happy to have you on the show. My pleasure. Jarmid, thanks for joining us. 
I wanted to start at the beginning of your career as a chef. I understand that you spent your early career working in broadcasting and business before you made the change to working in restaurants. So I'm wondering what prompted your career change and were you always interested in food and cooking? Uh, so firstly, yes, always interested in, in food and, and cooking. Um, learned quite quickly that there's a big difference between doing it for fun and doing it for work. Um, uh, and that's not just a kind of a the pleasure you derive from it, but actually the way that you prepare food and the way that you handle food and the way that you look at a dish in terms of how you would prepare it for yourself at home versus how it needs to be prepared to be able to serve 40 of it um, is very different. But uh, <clears throat> in terms of why I, I chose to go on this crazy journey <laughs> with food, um, I throughout my career, communication and the Irish language has always been the driving force. Um, I studied communications through Irish and, and media through Irish, um, worked in that, then worked for a company uh, who it was an Irish language education company dealing mostly with adults, providing Irish courses. And the business that I was doing was selling their courses, developing their products, uh, working with their websites, all of this kind of digital marketing stuff. Um, and through them did a, a postgrad in, in management and marketing. Again, I suppose all of that with the aim of promoting the Irish language and, and building communities um, of learners at the time, of, of speakers. But to me, um, because I had a passion for food, I saw social spaces were necessary and one where the Irish language was central to it and, and where it was obvious to the people walking into it that the Irish language was available, you know, as, as a language to use the staff, that all of the staff were fluent speakers and that it was a, a really welcoming and, and I suppose positive environment for the language and also a contemporary environment for the language, you know, rather than being something that's very often for people totally linked to the education sector um, that it would be in a vibrant, busy, buzzy cafe. So I went down the route of food, I suppose, not so much with the intention of being in the kitchen forever, um, but with the intention of learning how to set up the kind of kitchen that I wanted to set up and the kind of food business and, and, and space that I wanted to set up so that I could then create that space for, for speakers of the language, be they learners or, or fluent native speakers. And I'm, I'm still still trying to figure that out. <laughs> I'm curious, were you raised in Irish or is this something that you pursued on your own? Like, where did your love for the Irish language come from? Um, it's, it's hard to say where the love came from. I suppose, why do you love anything? I mean, it, it kind of, um, you love it because you love it. Uh, but uh, no, I wasn't raised to Irish. I'm not a native Irish speaker. Certainly my, my parents uh, would have had a very positive mindset about the language. My mother is, is a fluent speaker, but again, not a native speaker. She would have learned it through school and would have spent time in Irish-speaking regions when she was growing up um, and then was a trained primary school teacher, so could speak it um, with the purpose of teaching it. And then all of my siblings and I attended a secondary school through Irish, not necessarily because of a passion for language, but also because it was the school that my parents, I guess, preferred within our vicinity. And uh, because of that, all of us were fluent Irish speakers and many of us went on to third level through Irish, which is quite a rarity in Ireland. There aren't a lot of third level courses available through the medium of Irish. So there was always, I guess, not just me, but my family in general, a positive attitude towards the language. Um, words would have been used here and there at home. We would have spoken a little. Um, but it was when I went to secondary school and started to use it as a, as a functional communicative language that I fell in love with it personally. 
I never really took to it as a as an academic subject. I wouldn't have been hugely interested in reading poetry or prose or anything like that. But just the idea of using a language to communicate and that kind of journey you take when you learn any language. And fortunately, the school I went to was 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 good for languages. We had Spanish, Italian, German, French, all these languages in school. That kind of probing journey you take with the language where you suddenly go, oh, well, if I, I've learned this word and I've learned that verb and I can put them together in other contexts. And I, I got a real kick out of that. Um, and on top of that, then for this thing to be something that is uniquely ours in this country and that goes you know back thousands of years and one of the first languages in print and something that is just so i don't know i i just love the language itself i think it's so beautiful and there's something so connected to this to the land here we have words to describe things that are just so much more accurate even understanding the place names in ireland it's total gibberish unless you speak Irish because there's no meaning in a lot of them until you actually see where they came from in, in their original Irish form. I have so many questions right now. So <laughs> I, I love where this conversation's already headed. Um, but as a chef, I want to start with talking a little bit more about, you, as you were saying, the sort of journey to come up with a model for a food business that serves the community as well as pursues the goal of the Irish language goals. And I'm wondering if the model for the cafe was something that you had in mind very early on, or was that something that you were, whether you settled settled on that early on, or were there other contenders for that in particular? I know a lot of people look to like more service oriented or more sort of like formal restaurant models for when they're coming from a chef background. So just, I, I'm just curious, like how the actual format for the cafe was developed in your mind. Um, so the format for the cafe, I, I guess, took shape in a couple of ways. One, I, I grew up in a rural country pub and had seen, you know, a business and, and a lifestyle that was mostly linked with nighttime. I've worked in, in evening kitchens and it's, it's, it's quite hard in terms of lifestyle. So from a, from a very selfish perspective, in one sense, I wanted to run a daytime business. But the other sense, I guess, is that it feels to me that something like a cafe which is fast casual, which is daytime and which is a more relaxed space is much more likely to be a space that that your community can use, we'll say like families, like kids, whereas something that's quite formal dining is is more the preserve usually of adults um, and usually, you know, people who I guess have more money to. Um, and so it, I wanted to make sure that it was accessible for the community. So, so that's a very big part of it. I love cafe culture in general. I love coffee. <laughs> and I, I just love the kind of style of food as well. I like fast casual. I like, I guess, like we have in the style of what we have in the cafe, um, that it's a very simple use of very good ingredients sourced locally and sourced responsibly. The producers, and it's a burgeoning um, artisan producer scene that we have here in Connemara. Some of them have been around for a while, but compared to places like West Cork, um, where it's a much stronger, more established community and network of food producers, we're just kind of playing catch up here a little bit. But we've got some amazing producers that are in Connemara. I, I, like particularly like my crab and my goat's cheese coming from uh, Inishmore and the Aran Islands. You won't find better crab anywhere. I'm so proud of what the guys are doing there, Neve and Bertie uh, in Aran Island Seafood on Inishmore that I just put so much of the I suppose attention we've gotten in the media down to their crab. Just their crab. I'm wondering about your choice 
of location for Pota Cafe. I mean, there's a Gail talked in the Con- in Connemara, and we also noticed when we went there that TG Cahar is located right next door. And so I'm wondering why you chose that particular place to start your cafe. Was it a fact that it's in the Gale Talk? Do you have these great producers? You know, you're building an Irish language community or building on what's already there? Or did you have another reason? Well, uh, first of all, can I congratulate you on saying TG Cahart as opposed to um, many <laughs> Irish four. people who say TG4 <laughs> or who still say Tina G, despite the fact that the name has been changed for about 15 years. Um, so well you, done you on that. You should know that before this, before the we started, Kate was like, you cannot say you have to say TG Car. You must say it. She's <laughs> very aware of it. I told, yeah. yeah, I said, do not say TG4. <laughs> <laughs> well, well done. Kudos to you guys. So um, in terms of uh, where we chose to set up the cafe, so I, like I said, I worked with a company in Dublin in Irish language education for a while. And initially when I started to mull this idea over, it was a, a space for Irish speakers in Dublin because there are a huge amount of fluent speakers in Dublin who need a, a social space and that's still something I'd love to see happen be I involved or not um, but the the Connemara Gweldog thing the, my degree that I did in media through Irish I did in Carrow, which is about 15-20 minutes further west of where the cafe is now situated and so I had a a connection but also a love for Connemara already I had worked with Radion Gweldog so with TG Cahar um, with some of the media outlets in the area I had lecturers that I knew who had been teaching in that in that part of the university. It's a small subsection of NUIG out there um, who have been very loyal to me ever since I came back to open the cafe. But in terms of why Connemara, even though I'm like I'm from North Cork, I'm not from any Gwelta region, I'm certainly not from the Connemara Gwelta. I tried put a well not tried it, but I, I ran a pop-up intentionally for the limited period of a month back in 2018 in Cork, um, inside in the city. Uh, in a lovely space belonged to an Irish language advocacy group called Grelpaca. Um, and it was a great learning experience. We got to try a lot of things. We didn't even have a kitchen in there. I was preparing in another kitchen and bringing everything in ready to serve. Um, but I could see the challenges because it's such a, I guess, dog-eat-dog and competitive market um, in fast, casual, daytime food, coffee, um, Running it in a city can be very challenging. I'm very proud of what we do. And I think now if I was to open what we have now in a city, we could be quite successful because it's, it's clearly proven to be popular. Um, but at the time, it was just a, a little dipping of a toe in the water. Um, and it didn't, it didn't get the same, I guess, reaction that I was hoping for in terms of a community coming together. Now, again, it was only running for a month. You know, how much attention can you grab in that amount of time? And I don't fault the Irish speakers of Cork for that. It's just... That's the period of time we had to try it. But the Connemara Gwelthok thing, Connemara, I guess, is the, of the Gwelthoks in the country, has the largest population of Irish speakers. I had seen, unlike other, not that there's an issue with other Gwelthoks, but my experience of the language being really alive, I'd only experienced that properly in Connemara in my life, um, where you're going into something like a pub or, or a nightclub or, or a shop, and you can expect fully that, people around you will be speaking the language that your service will be provided through Irish and it's unusual not to get that once you come as far west as we are um, so that that to me said okay well there's a community of people here who who want and who expect a level of service through Irish and I want to give it to them and I want to create that space where they know that every single person working in the place speaks Irish and it was from my background working in, in Irish 
language education because we would work a lot with government bodies and training, we'll say local councils and things like that, um, that we understood and that I understood the importance of what's called the positive offering, which is in Ireland particularly, we're very apologetic for ex- our existence <laughs> and very polite. So if we think at all we're going, that we're going to inconvenience the person that we're coming in to ask a service of, be they receptionist or a shopkeeper or anything like that, we will do our best to not inconvenience them and to make life easy for them. So if we don't know for certain that they're going to be able to speak Irish, we don't want to begin in Irish for fear that they feel uncomfortable. And it's it's a lovely thing that we're that polite, but it's something that means that even if that person has Irish, they might know that the person coming in has Irish. So that opportunity is lost. Whereas if you have Irish coming into Potta and you know that every single person in there definitely, definitely can serve you to Irish, then you're far more likely to try to use the language. When we were in the cafe, I think we were both struck by just sort of the positive energy and sort of that there was the real palpable feeling of community buzz. You know, it's kind of rare to really actually feel that from a place. And I'm wondering if you specifically had inspiration from anywhere when you were looking for that to create that feeling. And Kate and I have, Kate in particular, has spent time in the north and we visited a culture lawn in Belfast, which is a an Irish language cafe and library and community space as well. So I'm just wondering if you had any particular inspirations um, that are that were already out there for you to go off of. Um, I what the guys are doing in the north, like not that we we should to a certain extent be ashamed of our lack of facilities like what they have there down in the south of Ireland. In in like there should be a centre like the cultural in, in Dublin, and there isn't, and it's a crying shame. The Conor Nagailge building with its bar underneath it goes a certain amount but there's no daytime space and again like I said the importance of daytime and family and and you know people who don't go out at night and who don't want to necessarily drink or you know this the, the Irish pub I guess is kind of going the way of the dinosaur in a lot of ways or has had to be reinvented quite a bit um, and I say that as a very proud son of a publican you know growing up in that culture it's something that was core to our community and it has changed I actually hadn't visited the Culturlin before we opened Potter, and I know there's another lovely one um, in Derry as well. I guess community was kind of always at the heart of what my dad did in the pub, not only just uh, in terms of people coming in and it being a source of information and a source of fun and a source of community, but also he was quite involved in community organizations, you know, organizations that would look after the elderly and take them on tours and, and make sure that they had warm homes and larms and stuff like that and community associations that would just look after, I guess, making sure there were facilities in the community and things like that. So there was always a kind of a community activity. And my mother as well was very active in, in, in making sure that there were resources, you know, at the local primary school and resources for, for people with special needs and things like that. So there was always that kind of community um, activism, I guess, at home and being involved in what's going on outside of the four walls of your own home. So I guess I I tapped into that um, and that that would have encouraged me. Quite frankly, Connemara is just phenomenal. The people of Connemara are phenomenal um, as community activists themselves. And I'd, uh, I had begun initially when I couldn't open the cafe running a neighbor food market and an online farmer's market, which helped me to develop my relationships with my wonderful organic suppliers, develop my relationships with people who were into the same kind of food that I intended to serve in the cafe. But on top of that, um, you know, there were people coming to it. And one guy in particular said to me, if you do something around here, people will come with you. And it, it, it was a quite a, 
he said in Irish, he said, my own brother, my job, I'd be my lap. And it, it, it's that kind of, they really do, like they, they've got a history of, you know, the Kerta Shivyalt and the Gaeltachta, which is the civil rights of the Gaeltachta, the establishment of Radio Nagaltachta, the establishment of TG Car. They fought for everything, tooth and nail, until they were able to put enough pressure on, we'll say, their local representatives, government, to get what they needed to serve their community. So they understand the importance of supporting things and being out physically at things, which, you know, things like COVID made very hard and changed people's, I guess, makeup and, and made them a little bit afraid or a little bit reluctant to come out and do things. But I've been so lucky with the kind of community movement that I've felt behind what we're doing. And I think, I hope, and look, I don't want to sound, I guess, like I'm bragging or anything like that, but I hope that the people who have supported us all the way, and we're only open just over a year and a half, but I hope that people are kind of proud to have us there too. Like we we won the award for best cafe in the country um, and, you know, in, in the Food and Wine Awards and in the Irish Times. And I think people are quite proud to have that in their community and to have supported it to get us to that point, you know, that they have a little bit of ownership of it, really, that, that, that there's that buy-in, that community buy-in there. I think we're so lucky to have such a, a motivated and active community, you know? Yeah, that's great. Congratulations on the awards. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. You mentioned neighbor food a few moments ago, and I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the kind of connections that you're able to make through that program in the area. And also, you know, having been to Connemara before, a lot of the villages can tend to feel very remote, even like where you are right now, which is relatively close to to Galway. What is the food landscape like there? Do people have a lot of options in terms of where they get their groceries? Or, you know, what kind of void did neighbor food fill? So um, Neighbor Food has been in an interesting journey. So Neighbor Food was started by a guy in Cork called Jack Crotty and his friend, his his colleague, Martin Poucher. Um, and Jack is is actually a friend of friends of mine from another secondary school in Cork. And they started this amazing thing before COVID ever existed, um, which was this online farmer's market, which created a direct connection between local consumers, local people, and the suppliers in their area and basically gave a much more fair deal and better opportunity for the suppliers. So it, it 
the supplier gets 80% of the tick of the sticker price. The host, the person running the market, aka me, um, gets 10% for providing that space and that service and for organizing everything and neighbor food themselves for providing the platform and the marketing and all that take 10% as well. So the 80% that the supplier gets is a huge markup on what they would get going into somewhere like a supermarket where, you know, they'll get put on the back shelves and they won't be seen and they'll probably get 50 or 60% of their, of their sticker price. So from that perspective, from an economic perspective, it's very important for local suppliers. So I worked on the first franchisee, I guess, of Jack's Neighbor Food in, in Cork with my, my sister and brother-in-law in their pub. And I saw not only the importance of it for a local community, but also um, the, I guess, the, the synergy that could be found between it and a rural restaurant, because we found it quite hard when we set up the restaurant in, in my family pub at first, getting suppliers to come to us. Now, we were lucky we had another restaurant in the city. We were able to get deliveries there and bring them ourselves and things like that. But for me in Putta, I don't have that option, nor do I have the time to run around getting ingredients from different suppliers around the place. I need to be in the kitchen prepping them. So what Neighbor Food does is <clears throat> it gives an extra set of sales to suppliers. We'll say I use Beach Lawn Organic Farm who are in Ballinasloe, which, yes, it's in Galway. Yes, it's a local supplier, but Galway is a big county. Ballinasloe is about an hour and a half drive from where I am. <laughs> so for the amount of those guys organic veg that I'm using on the menu in my little cafe the cost of fuel at the moment it wouldn't be worth it to them to just deliver to the cafe but suddenly with neighbor food they have the sales of vegetables directly to the consumer for an 80% cut which is a a big cut and they deliver some some lovely vegetables to me as well for the cafe so the the I guess they, they work very well together like I said that kind of synergy in terms of the landscape um the food producer landscape out here like I said, it's it's a burgeoning artisanal food producer scene. You've got a, a Gabriel out on Inishmore producing his amazing goat's cheese, which won Food Guild, Food Writers Guild Award two weeks ago. I use Velvet Cloud, which is a, a yogurt, and they do their Rockfield Sheep's Cheese up there in, in Mayo, and they also won a Food Writers Guild Award. So you have Teresa in Kylemore Farmhouse Cheese on the other side of Galway. She won a Local Food Hero Award last year at the Restaurant Award. So all these guys are really really playing way above their their pay grade in terms of the quality of stuff that they're producing so we're very lucky to have those suppliers and then of course i have angus and the gary gloss who's about 500 yards away from the door of the cafe producing what i genuinely believe are some of the best organic vegetables you'll find in the country there is something that that man is putting in that soil i don't know what it is but it is magic um i guess it's the traditional connemara seaweed enriched soil but he he has gone all over the world before he set up his little, his Gary Gloss farm, which for a long time was one acre. And he traveled around the world initially doing woofing, you know, World Organization of Organic Farming, learning his craft and seeing, I guess, people who get out of a place and get to see how things are done in different parts of the world, come at it with a different perspective. And the man is is a poet on the inside and a farmer on the outside. Like he's got a real beautiful outlook on life. So we've got these these people producing this magic stuff and like we have to do very little to any of those ingredients to make them shine on a plate you know it's just it's 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 amazing but yeah so like i said the neighbor food thing um <clears throat> really married in i guess to the same ideals that we have at the end of the day our our three core values in potter are community sustainability and quality 
community, both through the language and also through supporting these lovely local producers, sustainability, you know, that we're using as much organic as we can, that we reduce our carbon footprint, but also that, you know, the, I guess we reduce our carbon footprint by stuff having to travel less to us. Um, and the stuff needs to be treated less. There's nothing sprayed in it. You know, you don't have these bags of salad with 13 chemicals sprayed into them to hold them fresh when I literally pull into Angus's driveway and grab a crate with no plastic, just a big crate of leaves and bring it as far as my cafe and chuck it in the sink. And that is as far as it travels. And that is the, it gets washed with a little bit of salt and good fresh water. And that is it, you know, so we're just, we're just lucky. Yeah. That sounds amazing. I'm, I was actually hoping you could talk a little bit more about the food at the cafe after hearing about all the incredible ingredients. And I love the distinction that you keep drawing between, you know, the cafe being open during the day versus a restaurant that's open at night and how that changes the dynamic of who can, who, who comes in and who the space is for. And a lot of times we hear about chefs using very uh, sustainably produced ingredients on their relatively expensive and inaccessible dinner menus. Uh, Not so often hearing about the same approach being used to a daytime cafe menu. So I would love to hear a little bit about the, the dishes that you create and how you incorporate all those wonderful local ingredients. So uh, it, it's called being an absolute idiot. Um, <laughs> um, or, or a very novice food business um, operator. Uh, so I have been lucky enough to work with a lot of these ingredients in other food businesses, be they nighttime where there's a bit more of a markup um, or be they daytime, I guess, where they're in busier locations. I guess it's a little bit mad that I I use ingredients of that caliber and serve them in, in the way that I serve them um, at the price that I serve them. And funnily enough, locally, people would see us as an expensive option. And yes, compared to a lot of the other daytime cafes, we are probably a little bit more expensive or in or around the same. But I can guarantee you the, mark, the markup that we have is nowhere near what other places have because we spend so much on the ingredients. And I guess that's part of our commitment. Like I said, those those core values, I get, you know, as long as we can survive, um, I don't mind the profit margin being reduced that much for the sake of us being more sustainable and better for the community. Um. So we we use these phenomenal greens. The the approach to using them in the cafe, I guess, because it's fast casual, because labor is quite a big expense, and we are already disproportionately spending on our labor as well as our ingredients. Because you buy ingredients from somewhere like the big suppliers in Ireland, like Musgraves or or Palace Foods or any of these kind of um, big wholesalers, stuff comes prepped and it just goes on the plate. And I mean, it's not a patch on the food and the ingredients that we have, but it has zero labor you know it comes out of a packet not to the plate and very little training very little skill very little sunken costs in terms of of your staff so that that puts a lot of pressure on us because if i lose a staff member who i've had to train on how exactly to prepare our lovely beetroot hummus which involves getting beetroots from beachlawn organic farm cleaning them which a lot of people don't know how to do wrapping them roasting them peeling them the way that we peel them um and making a hummus from them using you know nice ingredients good irish ingredients and being able to taste that compared to the guy who buys the hummus off the back of the truck for a fraction of the price um it presents a lot of challenges i'm sure you you know better than anyone max but it's how we want the food to be done and it's it, it comes back i guess to what i'm quite passionate about which is you come to potter and you get a taste of that exact place in the world 
you are tasting things that are grown in the ground that is around that place. And where something is grown, even if it's the exact same vegetable, tastes different because of the ground it's grown in. And, you know, we're learning more and more the importance of soil and how much degradation is happening to this tiny little layer of topsoil that's around the world. And um, soil is so important. And soil nutrition and soil quality is so important. So that idea of a terroir-based cooking where stuff is coming from as close as possible to the restaurant, I think when you walk into Potter and you taste crab that came out of the sea that is, you know, 100 yards down the road, that came out of the ground in Gary Glass, which is 500 yards up the road, that you're really tasting the place. Um, but also because of the language and because of, you know, it's, it's a very specific thing. I mean, even the, the, the variations in um, dialects within five kilometers of the cafe are phenomenal. I asked my staff one day what word they used for nuts in Irish. And I got about six answers because there were people from about within 10 kilometers of the place. Some of them said nuts. Some of them said crony. Some of them said crony. Some of them said knony. Some of them said knona. You had minor variations. So like something can be so, so of a place. And I think when you walk into Potter, the reason that it's so unique is because it's of that place. And that's such an easy way in a certain, to a certain extent to make something unique is just let's make it of here. I know that you studied at Ballymaloo Cookery School, and so I'm just wondering if you, if that was where you got some of your motivation for growing the food and, and the soil and what kind of impact that education had on the food that you're cooking now. Uh, I get it's, it's a little bit chicken and egg, I guess, because speaking of food, <laughs> but um, Ballymaloo is a phenomenal place. It's a 100 acre organic farm. And there's organic and there's organic. I mean, you know, you can get organic vegetables in, in most supermarkets in Ireland now. Um, but I don't know what their commitment is to to really organic food. But you go down to Ballymaloo and your first day in there, you have your compost buckets where nearly all of the food from the kitchen is going. And Darina Allen, who's just a phenomenal force, um, who seems to have boundless energy, says, you know, and that goes back, that goes to the chickens and comes back as eggs. And it's that idea of of a cyclical economy, I guess, and and you know something so sustainable that the, the bucket literally you you walk out after you've done your preparing your food and you you give the food to the chickens, they take what they want because they're quite selective, and then the rest of it goes into a big loader, you know, a kind of a, a dump truck type thing, and goes down to the end of the farm and gets put into the composting area, and once they've gotten good compost out of it, it goes into the polytunnels. You're down in the polytunnels next morning and you're picking, you know, your your, your beautiful herbs which are so fresh out of the ground and you're given exams on exactly what each herb is and having to name it and, and pick it out and what dishes it goes into and all of that feeding back in it's it's something I guess that goes all the way back to Myrtle Allen and, and that love of of really high quality local food yeah Bal- Balmud I mean without a doubt had an effect on me I guess it it just reinforced what I what I already believed that there was a real importance to quality ingredients. Um, the, funnily enough, some of the main things I went down to Valley for. I mean, it's I guess I wanted to formalize my training. I hadn't been trained as a chef. It was a a shorter course than going and doing something like a two year postgraduate course in in culinary arts or anything like that, or a degree in culinary arts for four years. But it, it allowed me to to take a little bit of a shortcut. It also allowed me to meet a lot of like-minded people who were equally passionate about that type of food and the importance of it in our in our environment, in our health, all of these things. Um, 
but there was a couple of like really base skills that I just wanted to nail and, and I wanted someone, you know, when you're working in a professional kitchen, very often chefs don't have the time to actually really look at how you're doing something and, and correct and, and guide and, and nurture. So that lovely experience of having, like they've got a very high teacher to, to student ratio of something, I think it's maybe about a teacher per six students, which is one of the highest you'll find in any kind of culinary training course and that they're really working with you and sharing their experience because most of them have worked in commercial and professional kitchens simple things like how to make a quiche base how to produce that kind of pastry and how to do it well with good ingredients but that is something that i use every single day in the cafe um so those those real core skills um and and bulletproof recipes and knowing that something has to be just i guess teased out and figured out and tested and tested and tested to make it work means that you don't waste good ingredients once you know how to do it and also that that whole uh, zero waste like Bally Manu are excellent for zero waste you you juice a lemon down there that lemon skin does not go anywhere near the compost it gets prepared for you know uh, for candied peel or for lemonade or for marmalade or you know a million different uses but there is no way it's getting wasted that's fantastic. Well, I guess we wanted to wrap up by asking, you know, if there was something on the horizon for you or for the cafe, if there's something coming next for you, or if you'll be focusing more on, on the cafe, what's next on the horizon for you and for the cafe? Yeah. So um, I, I've got a million ideas. Um, none of them good. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> All of them as mad as the first one. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, sure. Go hard <laughs> or go home. Um, but no. Uh, so the... I'm very lucky at the moment. We are currently working with them. There's a an Irish language section of a business school in Dublin City University called Fionter. And it's where two of my siblings actually did their degrees through Irish, like I mentioned earlier. And they have a master's program uh, in um, business, I guess, in, in marketing and in leadership. Their students are involved in this program called Infuse, which is a, a kind of a a link with business where they will take a certain aspect of a business that's looking to be developed and they will do a project on it and see how they think it could work and and explore the viability of it for you because Irish language private ventures are, are I guess fairly rare I have four different groups from that course all working on different ideas for Potter which is amazing yeah I'm very very lucky we're we're looking at potentially having a bakery I mean, we bake a lot already. We do our focaccia, all our cakes, all our scones, all this stuff already. But having, a, I guess, a retail bakery, if you get my meaning, that we would sell loaves and sell pastry and things like that. We are looking at potentially developing, and this one is more likely than, than any of the rest to happen, a kind of online picnic box ordering system. We've got a lot of people who come, you know, who might be going, there are private boats down in, in Russellville Pier, so they might pick up their picnic in the morning and have it pre-ordered sandwiches and cakes and things like that we would love to start producing products we'd, we'd, we'd probably do that that sounds great yeah <laughs> so, a couple of those yeah and it's just i mean i guess we're offering something that can't be found in a lot of other points along the route in Connemara. so if you could pick up your pot of food rather than having to rely on somewhere else but it, the timing mightn't suit you to have lunch with us well then you can pick it up at 9 a.m and be somewhere way up in, uh, elsewhere in Connemara with your picnic at one o'clock and eat it but uh, yeah, and then I would love to see us develop some products. You know, we've got a beautiful, we usually make a kale from whatever greens Angus has in, in season in the Gary Gloss. So something like kale or, or rocket or 
whatever collard greens or all these different greens that he has at different times of the year and we produce a lovely pesto and it's it's vegan we we produce that hummus that i described earlier with the roast beetroots from from Ballinasloe. um so maybe something along those lines or maybe something with a slightly longer shelf life maybe you know something kind of a gluten-free oat biscuit or something that's very much tied to Irish food history, I guess, you know, oats, like we have a huge gluten intolerance in Connemara. It's the highest uh, incidence of gluten intolerance in, in Europe, in the West of Ireland. And I, I presume, and I am in no way a dietitian, it goes back to the fact that wheat did not exist over here for a very long time and access to it of the particularly high gluten and high protein wheat. So oat would have been the main sort of grain for baking and things like that. And flat oat cakes traditionally going back thousands of years would have been what would have been prepared. Um, so something that kind of marries and, and, and ties into that and draws on that food heritage a little bit. And I think that's nearly it. The other idea, I guess, is wouldn't it be great if we could put putta in every other Gwiltacht in the country, if we had four or five puttas around the country and all of them creating that same community space. But uh, until I can find a way to have four or five clones, I'm not sure how that's going to happen. I am just curious, you've been talking a lot about community space that's provided by the cafe. And I know when we ate there, there was a room in the front that was being used for an art gallery show. And so I was just wondering if you could, um, you know, talk about other ways that the space is used beyond just a cafe. Right. Well, there's two things on on that. One, uh, the gallery space at some point in the future, I mean, this has kind of been put on the long finger and the long finger. It belongs to the guys who own the building rather than to Putta. So it will at some point probably be used as as offices as they they need to hire a lot of extra staff. So we get that out of the way. But in the meantime, I'm using it in so, as much as I, I can, to be honest. We run evening events maybe once a month on a host of subjects. So we had one last week on biodiversity. I'm part of a committee trying to establish a more substantial community woodland in Connemara because there, as you guys know, very few trees. <laughs> We'd like to have that as an amenity. So as part of that, we organized this evening to inform people of, I guess, ways to to do their own little biodiversity plans in their backyard, to do them in their local primary school, things like that. And we gave out free um, bare root trees of indigenous breeds of, of, of oak and birch and quercum, which I think is, um, I'm not entirely sure, um, <laughs> I forget the English names, but we gave out these trees. And in the gallery space, we have a beautiful demonstration put together, our exhibition put together by one of the guys who's on the committee with me, who has set up a website called Flora Khashariga, which is the flora of this area. And he has taken photos of about about 300 of the 900 species of plants that are occurring naturally in this area and has documented them and provided information. And on the back of that has put together this amazing exhibition with the support of the local university about those plants and their environments. So that's available to view at all times at the moment in the cafe or in the gallery space in front of the cafe and linked in then with that biodiversity evening. So we use as much as we can the space to to not only, you know, I guess through the menu and through the business and through the daytime space, but also through the evening time space um, to, to improve the environment and, and to bring the community together. So for events like that, then we will do things like canapes and wine and, and coffee and things like that and, and it's it's something you know i don't want to be there every evening running a restaurant at night but it's something i'm happy to do you know once a month once every two weeks where we do a kind of a fun evening thing i guess like something like a supper club and then aside from that i guess a story that really encapsulates the whole community thing for me we had a local group called they're a government-funded body who are there to support parents raising kids 
in the Gwaeltacht communities in, and who want to raise their kids to Irish. And they contacted me just before Christmas to ask, could we do a dinner for the um, for parents in the area, basically, on Nolig Naman, or Women's Christmas, which is a very strong tradition in Ireland still, that the 6th of January is that day when women finally get a day off. I'm, we're, we're not, we're not going to go down the route of, you know, the fact that it shouldn't just be the women who are working all the way through Christmas anyway, but it's still a very strong tradition. So we had a room full of 45, as it happened, it was all women in the end, 45 women, all fluent Irish speakers, all local, all eating locally, you know, local goat's cheese, local crab, local lamb, local everything. And I got an email from the woman who organized it, Sarah Nikelikar and Tishmahinagalta afterwards, thanking us for it and saying that she'd gotten a lot of messages of support. And I nearly broke down crying to be perfectly honest, because it was just everything about that evening was a, a kind of a culmination of everything we've been trying to achieve from day one. And even before we opened the cafe, my my goals for this space, um community space using local ingredients that's good for the environment that's good for people and that i guess educates as well as providing something that's just fun and a nice place to be yeah it's really feels so very full circle when you talk about it paul this was a wonderful conversation and i think we will if you continue at the pace that you're going we'll have another at least hour to talk about (laughs) all these new projects at some point really soon right so right Well, this has been really great. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us. Yeah, thank you. Dyed Green is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe. Dyed Green is a project of Bog and Thunder, whose mission is to highlight the best of Irish food and culture through food tours, events, and media. Find out more at bogandthunder.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any story suggestions, questions, or things you'd like to share in response to our broadcast, you can email us directly at diedgreen at heritageradionetwork.org.